have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Obadiah. Turn with me to Obadiah, shortest book in the Old Testament with one of the biggest backgrounds, and it has a big message, and we've been looking at it today. And so we want to talk about Payday Someday. How many of you ever heard of a sermon by the name of Payday Someday? Anybody? Yeah, a few. We got a few. So R.G. Lee, Payday Someday. It was a famous sermon. You ought to look it up. You can probably listen to it online. And it was about Elijah's prediction that Jezebel, that wicked apostate uh, wife of King Ahab, that, that she would be judged. But it took a long time for God's judgment to finally come. And then his sermon uh, was called Payday Someday. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today is Payday Someday. Nobody's getting away with anything. Everyone's going to have a day of accounting. So let's look at verses 15 through 21. We're now in this section today and for the next two weeks. Let's look at it. Obadiah 15 through 21. For the day of the Lord draws near on all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. And of course, he is talking to Edom, but through Edom, he's talking to all the nations. Because just as you drank on my holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually. And they will drink and swallow and become as if they Never existed. But on Mount Zion will be those who escape. And it will be holy. And the house of Jacob will possess their possessions. They will possess their inheritance. Then the house of Jacob will be a fire. And the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau will be as stubble. It will be burned up by that flame. And they will set them on fire and consume them so that there will be no survivor of the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. Then those of the Negev will possess the mountain of Esau. And those of the Shepelah, the Philistine plain. Also possess the territory of Ephraim and the territory of Samaria. And Benjamin will possess Gilead and the exiles of this host of the sons of Israel who are among the Canaanites as far as Zarephath and the exiles of Jerusalem are who are in the Sepharad will possess the cities of the Negev the deliverers will ascend Mount Zion to judge the mountain of Esau and the kingdom of will be the Lord's. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So, look at your overview there, chart. Uh, we have those handed out. You can get the big chart of the whole book. But also there, uh, we have in your notes, the Edom's Day of Doom is verses 1 through 9. And there's that warning to the proud. Pride comes before the fall. But there's hope for the humble. Seek humility. And then we went to Judah's Day of Discipline, verses 10 through 14. Warning to the proud, number two, you are your brother's keeper. Hope for the humble, if that's the case, serve others. 
like Christ has served us. Now we're taking a switch to the Lord's day of destiny for the nations. And that's in 15 through 21. And today we're looking at the warning for the proud. Warning number three, payday someday for the proud on the day of the Lord. And the structure's there. It's a reap what you sow, judgment. We'll talk more about that next week. Reaping the cup of eternal wrath, reaping the fire of eternal judgment, but also reaping the promises of the eternal kingdom. So that kind of gives you where we're going. Now, look in your Bibles at verse 15. Verse 15 is a major pivot in this in this short letter. And there's four things I want you to be aware of there. First of all, it pivots, as we've seen, from Edom's day of doom and Judah's day of discipline to the Lord's day of destiny. So we've seen day throughout this, but now we see the Lord's day, the day of the Lord. The second pivot is from Edom in verses 1 through 9, Judah now to all nations, look again at verse 15. It says, for the day of the Lord has drawn near, not just on Edom, not just Judah, but all the nations. And then thirdly, we pivot from Obadiah's recent past, which was the day of discipline where Judah and Jerusalem were attacked by the Arab and Philistine alliance to the near future when verses 1 through 9 will be fulfilled and Edom will be judged in history, now we're switching from that to the far future of the day of the Lord, the final eschatological, which means in things, in times. We've, we're shifting from what's happening there in history to what is happening in the end times. And then finally, it pivots from a historical preview of coming attractions to the eschatological full-length movie of the last things. What do I mean by that? Well, Edom's day is, happens in history, uh, about 325 B.C. and then finally in 70 A.D. It's a historical preview of the coming day of the Lord. Jerusalem. We saw Judah and Jerusalem and Israel. We went through their history and they keep sinning against the Lord. And then they have a day of judgment. That's a historical preview of coming attractions. You're going to get the full feature movie is recorded for us here in verses 15 through 21. And let me just say that many of the uh, minor prophets and even the major prophets in this way. They end with this full-length feature of the coming day of the Lord and the coming kingdom of the Lord. What's hard about this is the prophetic perspective. So let's take a moment to look at that, the prophetic mountaintop perspective. So the prophets, and I have that chart there, they see the mountaintops they don't know about the valleys and how long there is between the mountaintops, okay? So here's what I want you to see. The Old Testament, Old Testament prophets did not know who the coming king, the kingdom is the Lord's. They didn't know who he was, and they didn't know when he was coming. But they knew he was coming. But they also did not know how he would come. 
They thought it would all come in one climatic moment because they saw the tops of the mountaintops. But in reality, there was a long valley between the first coming of the Lord and the second coming of the Lord. Are you with me? And that's why, I mean, these poor guys, think about the prophets. You know, they're being taken up in a vision or they're giving a revelation uh, through an oracle. And they're, you know, they're seeing the past, the future, the recent past, the far future. And, it, it, and that's why their letters are hard to understand. Okay, And you've got to keep reading them. And you've got to allow, by an inductive process, the signals in the text to know. And so verse 15 is this pivot. And uh, I've got more there that I can, than, than I can take you through. But kind of look at that um, and realize, let me, let me do make mention here. You've got your prophets, the prophet's own time, Obadiah. Okay, about 850, 845 B.C. Then you got the near future, this coming day when Edom in history is going to be judged. But then you have the far future of verses 15 through 21. But what they don't know is there's a huge valley between these two comings and there is this mystery of the church age. And they're like, what? I mean, I thought all this was, you know, the Lord's going to come, crush our enemies. We're going to be exalted. And they don't even know yet because this is another mystery labeled a mystery in Romans 9 through 11. They don't know that Israel's going to be partially hardened and set to the side while the king of Israel reigns from heaven. I mean, you know, it's mind blowing. So you've got to keep that perspective in mind. So here's what I want to do this morning. We're going to look at uh, five aspects, five characteristics of the day of the Lord. Because that's the, probably the most important prophetic theme in all of Scripture. We can get all excited about who the Antichrist is. We can get all excited about prophetic calendars and all that. And all of that has a place somewhere, but it's not the main place. The main place is understand this is about the Lord. In his day. Amen. It's about him. And once you get him in perspective and prophecy, then everything else will fall into place. And you won't be as anxious about what you don't understand and don't know because you know him. And that's what's most important. So we're going to look at five characteristics of the day of the Lord. We'll illustrate them from verses 15 through 21. And we'll go more in depth in, in the next two weeks. But I just want you to get the big concept of the day of the Lord. Number one, what is the nature? What is the nature of the day of the Lord? Thinking about this, <coughs> I would say, since it's the day of the Lord, and Lord is I am, Yahweh, the promise-keeping God, it is a day of promise-keeping by the Lord. If you want to say, what is the nature of that day? It is a day when the Lord is going to come to this earth and he is going to finally, fully, and completely keep all of his promises. His plan that began way in Genesis 1 and has been added to and revealed with all these episodes. So Gwen, the episodes of prophecy will have a final chapter. Gwen's first question, is this a movie or are there episodes? Gwen, there are episodes. I hate episodes. 
Well, we live in the prophetic episodes, and the final chapter is coming. And in that final chapter, not one promise will be fail. Amen? It's a promise-keeping day. That's what it's all about. Now, it's sometimes called a day of visitation. In fact, uh, Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they missed their day of visitation. It's the idea of literally the Lord's coming to visit. But it ain't like uh, Jerry's daughters, uh, and, and I guess Vicky's too, uh, that came and visited uh, to, the, um, to their house for a nice little pleasant visit. The day of the Lord's visitation is a day of judgment and salvation. So let's take a look at what are the promises and who are they made to? Number one, the Lord will keep his promise of judgment, payday for the proud. It's a day of promise keeping. God has promised to sinners, to the rebellious, to the unbelieving, your day will come, I will keep that promise on the day of the Lord. Payday, someday, on the day of the Lord. Look at Obadiah 15. I mean, what a gracious warning to the proud. For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. And then when you look at verses 16 through 18, what is he saying? Obadiah focuses on just one of these nations and say it with me. Oh, bad Edom. Sorry, Jeremy's not here. He loves me saying that. Not really. Now, on the future and final day of the Lord, the Lord will fulfill every one of his promises to judge the proud and every unbelieving nation, including Edom. Edom is like, it's like the bad boy poster boy of the proud, okay? And if this is going to happen to Edom, then be sure it's going to happen to every proud believer in every proud nation, including America. Our nation will answer for our pride, for our setting God aside, for our flagrant thumbing of the nose and shaking of the fist at God's commands. And that's true for every nation. Now, let me just read to you some passages. I have them listed there in your notes. But here's what it's like for the unbliever on the day of the Lord. Isaiah 13, 6 through 11. And turn there and follow along with me. And it can help you orientate you in your Bible. Isaiah 13, 6 through 11. Here's what it says, verse 6. Wail. For the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp, and every man's heart will melt. They will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will wreathe like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment, their faces aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desola desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. Listen, that's the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay, That is strong language because we have a holy God and every one of us are unholy in his sight. For the stars of the heaven and their constellations will, flash, will not flash forth their light. It will be all darkness. 
The sun will be dark when it rises and the moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end. Now here's the theme of Obadiah. I will put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. Whoa! Now that's a promise and it's going to be kept. Okay, look at Isaiah 2, 12 through 21. Isaiah 2, 12 through 21. So just a few chapters back, Isaiah 2, 12 through 21, verse 12. For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning. There you go. Reap what you sow. Against everyone who is proud and lofty. Against everyone who is lifted up that he may be abased. And it will be against all the cedars of Lebanon that are lofty and lifted up, those nations. Against all the oaks of Bashan, the strong, the mighty, the lifted up. Against the lofty mountains, against all the hills that are lifted up. Against every high tower, meaning pagan idolatry that happened on mountaintops. Against every fortified wall. Against all the ships of Tarshish and against all of the beautiful craft. The pride of man will be humbled, and the loftiness of men will be abased, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. That's why it's the day of the Lord, because He alone is standing. And if we are to stand on that day, it will only be by the grace of God in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we could go on. Uh, turn to Zephaniah if you can find it. Zephaniah 1.14, okay? Zephaniah 1.14. Listen to this. Verses 14 through 18. Near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming quickly. Isn't God gracious to warn us? Listen, the day of the Lord... The warrior cries out bitterly. A day of wrath is that day. A day, and then look at this. He uses all the words that Judah experienced on their day. He's going to bring that on all the nations. A day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and darkness. A day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. In other words, all the strength, all the wisdom, all the pride of the world is going to be brought low. All this strutting that you see in the news, all this arrogant boasting that you hear among uh, the, 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 the famous and the popular and the beautiful people and that we see in our own heart, all of it's going to be brought low. And notice what it says, verse 17, I will be bring distress on men so that they will walk like the blind. Why? Because they have sinned against the Lord. And their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath. And all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy. The day of the Lord is where the Lord says, hey, I'm going to defend my holy glory. I'm going to get what is my due because I am a just and holy God. 
And then he says, And all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy, for he will make a complete end, indeed a terrifying one, of all the inhabitants of the earth. Well, aren't you glad you're here this morning? But that's a gracious warning because the promise-keeping God is going to do all of that. Now, what is the nature of the day of the Lord? It's a day of promise-keeping to proud sinners. But there's hope for the humble because look at the second promise. The Lord will keep His promise of salvation to the humble. There is hope for the humble in the day of the Lord. So it's not all judgment. There is also final salvation. And so let's look at this. It's a day of final salvation, a day of vindication, and a day of restoration of God's people. All of God's promises for salvation will be fulfilled on the day of the Lord. Turn to Amos chapter 9. We'll look at a couple uh, more passages because I just want to get you to, to not hear it from me, but hear it from the word of what this day is like. So look at Amos chapter uh, 9, 11 through 15. Let's listen to the, to the hope for the humble. Verse 11, Amos 9, 11. In that day, I will raise up the fallen booth of David and will wall up its breaches. I will also raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the day of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom. They're going to conquer Edom in the end. And all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming. This is a great verse. Declares the Lord. When the plowman will overtake the reaper, and when the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. Now, what is he saying that? What he means here is there's going to be so much blessing and abundance that they will still be reaping when it's time to plow. Isn't that wild? And they will be still treading the grapes from last season when it's time to plant for the new. It's, it's an expressive way of saying the mountains will drip with sweet line, wine and the hills will be dissolved. But notice... Also, I will restore the captivity of my people Israel, and they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine and make their gardens and eat their fruit. It's going to be a blessing flowing with milk and honey. I will also plant them on their land, and they will not again be rooted out from their land, which I have given them, says the Lord, all caps, promise keeping, your God. But... Also, it's a day of final humbling for the nation of Israel. As of now, even though they've been humbled many times in history, they are still partially hardened and they are still proud and rejecting Christ as their Messiah. But on that day, there will be a final humbling during the tribulation in which they will finally look up and see Christ returning and they'll say, oh my, the one I have pierced is coming. We repent as a nation. Save us, O Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to Amos 5, 18 through 20. So turn back a few chapters. Amos 5, 18 through 20. Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? 
I will be darkness and not light. And when a man flees from a lion, you're going to run into a bear. Or goes home and leans his hand against the wall, I can finally relax, I'm safe at home, and a snake bites him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom and no brightness in it? Here's what he's saying. Israel had gotten proud and thought, oh, the day of the Lord is judgment for those people. But for us, it's a day of deliverance. And he's like, oh, no, no, you proud, my proud people. You will have a day of final discipline. You will have a day of final judgment. And if you repent, then will come the promises of salvation. So it's a beautiful thing that this promise keeping keeps everybody humbled, or it ought to. The proud ought to see it and say, oh no, I repent. And the saved ought to see it, except for the grace of God, there goes I. Isn't that good? Well, we better keep moving. What's the purpose of the day of the Lord? What's the purpose of all this? Well, look at Obadiah 15 again. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. I would say the purpose of the day of the Lord is a day of destiny. It's a day of destiny for all people to know that Yahweh alone is God. It is a day of eternal destiny. And here's what's going to happen. First of all, it's a destiny of reap what you sow justice. Reap what you sow justice. When I first studied Obadiah, this is what struck me and I've never forgotten it. And I see it all throughout the Bible. God has only one kind of justice. And you know what it is? You reap exactly what you sow. No more, no less, but what you sow. Not what another sows, but what you sow. And that's God's justice. And to be honest with you, that's the justice that the world longs for and the world demands of others, but we don't want that for us. <laughs> they need to get what they deserve. I, on the other hand, show me some mercy because I'm an exception. And I'm not as bad as them. No, the destiny is reap what you sow. Look at what he says. The day of the Lord. What's the purpose of the day of the Lord? As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your head. I gave you all sorts of verses. But let's just look at our verses right here. Verses 1, 16, 18, and 21. Just in these verses right here, we have already seen in this short letter that Edom makes alliances to exploit Judah. Well, guess what? On the day of the Lord, the Lord's going to take other nations and make alliances to destroy Edom. What you did is what's going to happen to you. Notice also in this book, we have Edom cut off the remnant. Remember in verse, what is it, 14? where they're standing at the crossroads and the, uh, the, Judah, uh, the Judean people are fleeing and they're slaying them and enslaving them. Well, what's going to happen on the day of the Lord? Not one person is going to survive from Edom. Reap what you sow. They despise Jacob's as their descendants. Look at verse 18. The nations are going to despise them. The house of Joseph... 
aflame, but the house of Esau will be stubble. They will set them on fire, consume them. What's going to happen to their descendants? So that there will be no survivor of the house of Esau. For the Lord, the promise-keeping Lord has spoken. This will be your destiny. Here's the bottom line. Edom lifted itself up high and mighty against God's people. God is going to lift his people up to defeat proud Edom. Look at verse 21. The deliverer will ascend, be risen up to then judge the mountain of Esau. But there's another destiny. It's not just justice. It's a destiny. It's a destiny of covenant-keeping grace, okay? It's a destiny of covenant-keeping grace. So let's look at this. Um, because I'll just read one passage, but let's go to it. Ezekiel 16. Ezekiel 16. So here's this reap what you sow justice. Now, if that's all it is, Israel's in big trouble. Because they've been proud, they've been disobedient. But here's the difference between Israel and the nations. Israel is in covenant relationship with a covenant-keeping God that shows grace to the humble. Look at Ezekiel 16, and let's just read verses 60 through 63. Verse 60, Nevertheless, I will remember, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your sisters, both older and younger. And I will give them to you as daughters, but not, not because of your covenant. In other words, God's saying, look, I'm going to show grace to you. And in that moment, you're going to see your sin and you're going to repent. You're going to confess and you're going to run home. Verse 62, thus I will establish my covenant with you and you shall know that I am the Lord, the promise keeping God. So that you may remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth anymore because of your humiliation. When I have forgiven you for all you have done, the Lord, sovereign God, promise keeper declares. <clears throat> isn't that amazing? So what's going to happen is they're going to repent and they're going to never again be proud and haughty before the Lord. God's going to show them that kind of grace. Now, what about in Obadiah? We see these things in Obadiah. We see in these verses that Judah is going to be exalted after their humiliation. We're going to see that they are lifted up. And we'll talk more about that in the next two messages. But I just want you to see that it, Judah and Israel's destiny is one of final repentance with final salvation on, by grace through faith in the coming Messiah. So that's a little bit of the nature. It's a day of destiny. Eternal destinies. And there's only two places. There's only two destinies. 
Justice, reap what you sow. Grace, get what you don't deserve from a promise-keeping God. What about the timing of the day of the Lord? What about the timing? Now, this can get hairy, but look again at verse 15. We're just really keying off of verse 15. What's the timing? For the day of the Lord does what? What's it say in verse 15? It, it draws near. It draws near. Now, why is it near? I would suggest to you, whenever I see this, I always think about three concepts. I think it's near because it's sure to happen. It's, it's, and in fact, in this book, he talks about it as though it's already happened. It's near because it's soon to happen. You're saying soon. Obadiah predicted this in 845, 850 B.C. It's now two, over 2020. Oh, well, wait a minute. That's less than 3,000 years. And what does the Bible say to the Lord? A thousand years is no more than one day. Less than three days ago, God said this was going to happen. It's going to happen. It's soon. And it's going to be sudden. So it's sure, it's soon, and it's sudden. And when it comes, boom, there's not time to repent. Boom, there's not time to serve the Lord like I wish I had. Boom, there's not time to share the gospel with my lost friend or coworker. Boom, it's sudden, it's sure, and it is soon. So let's talk, what kind of day is it? When you talk about timing, I want you to think of a day of darkness and light. I want you to think of darkness and light. We're not going to get into like when this is going to happen in timing. I want you to understand that basically this. A Jewish day in the Bible was counted as evening and morning. Okay, that was a Jewish day. Evening and morning. How do we count a day? Morning and evening. Sunlight and then nighttime. But this is the opposite Remember in Genesis, how did God count days in Genesis? There was evening, there was morning the first day, okay? And the Jewish day started at 6 p.m. until the next 6 p.m., okay? I think this is relevant for the day of the Lord. This means the timing of the day of the Lord, there'll first be darkness and then light. There'll first be judgment then salvation. There'll be justice, then grace. Or, if you want to understand it in New Testament terms, the cross always comes before the crown. you got to get that timing right. See, when we get saved, a lot of us think we're, gonna, we're living in the kingdom. And good times are coming. Work is going to be a great place. Co-workers are going to have unity and love. Family members are always going to get along. Life is going to be one big vacation. No, the timing is darkness, then light. And that's why, listen to me, this is why the nation of Israel missed Jesus. Because they thought, oh, morning is going to come. It's going to be kingdom. The the Gentiles are going to get judged. We're going to be exalted. Where's our, our, our glorious, powerful king? Oh, no. He's the humble, suffering servant of Isaiah. And he has come to serve, not to be served, and to be a sacrifice for many. 
And that's the path of your life. And that's the path of my life. This is suffering now. This is nighttime now. But our day is dawning. And here's the good news. We are already children of the day living in the night. So we have a hope that the lost do not have. So let's talk about timing a little bit. Near future. The day of the Lord is predicted in the near future, like Obadiah, with historical judgment, evening, and deliverance, morning, in the past. So you have all these little days of the Lord going on, okay? But second, or thirdly, there's a far future. There's this eschatological, and I know that's a scary word, but it simply means study of end times, the end times. And there is coming a future judgment, evening, and deliverance in the future. So here's what I want you to understand. In the near future, in the historical, you got Edom's fall, you got Judah's fall, you got Jerusalem's fall, all this in history. But there's coming a future. And here's, here's what you want to see. The day of the Lord climaxes history. So the day of the Lord as the last days of history. So a day can be a period of time, but it's also a 24-hour day. The day of the Lord, the last days of history. So it begins when the final day of the Lord comes in the future. It begins with the sunset of the tribulation judgment. Seven years of darkness. Seven years of reaping what we've sown. Seven years of judgment on the proud nations. But then it ends with the sunrise of the millennial kingdom for a thousand years. So you get this day or night and day in that future. But, but, the day of the Lord will also, I believe, be a literal 24-hour day at the second coming. Because in the mid, at the end of the tribulation, at the beginning of the kingdom... I don't know what day that is. And guess what? Jesus doesn't know either. Only the Father knows. It's going to be soon. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be sure. But there's going to be a 24-hour day. And I believe he will come in the night. And then with the dawning of that day, his feet's going to hit the Mount of Olives. And every promise is going to be fulfilled. The promise of judgment has been begun in the tribulation. The promise of deliverance for the nation of Israel and the church joining the Lord Jesus Christ coming from heaven and the millennial kingdom where on this earth all of God's promises are going to be fulfilled. That's about all I can tell you about that right now. Okay, let's keep moving. You say, okay, this is all about Israel, but where's the church in this? Number four, let me hit you with the mystery of the day of the Lord. And here's the mystery about the day of the Lord. It's not revealed in the Old Testament. It's only revealed in the New. You're in on something that Obadiah didn't know about. It's a day of two comings. The Lord's not going to just come once and fulfill all this. He came once, fulfilled it, went up to heaven, 
is exalted and ruling over the earth, but he's going to come back a second time. And that is what the church didn't know. And that's why I gave you that mountaintop chart there in your notes. So let me hit you with this. The initial day of the Lord has come with the humiliation of the suffering servant. The day of the Lord, in a sense, has already begun because the king has come. And on the cross, nighttime judgment. Literally on the cross, the world turned dark for three hours. And then he said, it is finished. And the light came again. And he was buried. And he stayed buried for three days. And then he rose again and was exalted to the heavens. But nobody can see him except his witnesses, the apostles, and the witness of this word. And by faith, we take that witness and say, the Lord has come and it has begun. And if it has begun with that kind of victorious resurrection, then it will end in a glorious kingdom. Amen. I hope this is, mo- I mean, I'm, I'm just excited. You look excited, sort of. Okay, so that's the initial day of the Lord. Then you have the final day of the Lord, the exaltation of the sovereign Savior when he comes back. At his second coming. So we live in the now, not yet. And here's where the church comes in. The church, as a Jew, Gentile, as Jew and Gentile in one body, is a mystery not revealed in the Old Testament. So here's what happened. The nation of Israel misses their day of visitation. Because they're thinking, daytime, kingdom, salvation, bad guys go down. And they didn't realize, no, you're the bad guys too. You need a Savior too. And so they missed Jesus. They rejected him. God partially hardens the nation. We know that the 12 apostles were believers. We know Paul was a believer. So not every, you know, Jewish people can get saved. We must evangelize the Jewish people. We've had Jews for Jesus here. Because we believe in Jewish evangelization. But it's only going to be a remnant. It's not going to be the nation. Okay? And God then showed grace to the Gentiles. Because his people rejected him, he said, I'm going to open this up to the Gentile peoples. Matthew 28. All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Go make disciples of all people groups. Baptizing them and teaching them all that I have commanded. And Jew and Gentile come together, not in a Christian nationalism, not in a state, a political state, but in a spiritual body. Amen? And that's a mystery that has not been revealed that you and I get to be in. And boy, God, God help us if we get proud about that. And that's what Romans 9 through 11 says. Paul says to you Gentiles, don't you get cocky against the Jews. Don't you get cocky. Because if I can set aside my covenant people temporarily, I can easily dismiss you Gentiles. Because the bottom line is you're all in this by grace through faith in what Jesus did. See, when Jesus came the first time, he became the day of the Lord. The Lord poured his judgment on the Lord. And the Lord delivered the Lord. 
I mean, it was a mini day of the Lord. That's the gospel. That's why, listen, when you share the gospel, you got to share bad news first, then good news. Because the day of the Lord is evening, then morning. If, if you don't understand the judgment, you don't appreciate the grace. Well, what's the result of all this? The result of the day of the Lord is a day of glorious fulfillment. A day of glorious fulfillment. And here's what's going to happen. After the day of the Lord of tribulation and kingdom, the kingdom will come and the new creation will begin. And I love how Obadiah ends, don't you? Let's look at Obadiah 21 once more. Obadiah 21. The deliverers will ascend Mount Zion to judge the mountain of Esau. You could say symbolic of the proud. And the kingdom will be the Lord's. Is that not good? So here's what I end with. The warning to the proud is very simple. The warning to the proud is very simple. Payday, someday, on the day of the Lord. He's a promise keeper. Your destiny will be determined. The timing will be judgment for those who are unbelieving. But there's hope for the humbled. And the hope here is to remain or to stay hopeful. So we're in this darkness, right? My car got broken into this week. What a blessing. Why? Because we're in a fallen world. Stay hopeful. Bad things happen. Disease, death, betrayal, hard times at work, hard times at church, hard times in growing old. It's all happening. Stay hopeful because we got a promise-keeping God. Amen? And listen, don't give up on the prodigal and don't fail to witness to the unsaved. Because now is our time. Why, why do we have this time? Folks, we don't have this time to build up our retirement. We don't have this time to satisfy self. We have this time to serve and to witness. Amen? And I need that message. You're saying, you're a pastor. Yeah, well, guess what? I need a vibrant faith of serving and staying humble. Amen? Man, we need this. We need, the, we need this. I need this. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, that you have warned us today again, afresh and anew, that the day of the Lord, your day, is coming. Lord, expose my pride, and I pray that I'll be sensitive to it so I don't have to go through the fall. Expose where I am puffed up towards others and, and just have a sense of entitlement, a sense that I am deserving. And just, Lord, let me come before you, confess that, repent of that, and let my hope be anchored. You have taken my judgment. You are my righteousness. You are my resurrection unto life that I may walk in the newness of life. May that be each person's experience here today. And may we leave here encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen.